he was promoted to the number one spot among the government officials. Second only to the king himself. But this was no avail if Mordecai the Jew would not bow down to him. Theories abound as to why Adolf Hitler hated the Jews so much. But the bottom line is that if anti-Semitism were not already rampant in Europe, and especially in Austria and Germany, Hitler could never have done what he did, resulting in the murdering of six million Jews, an attitude not unlike that of Haman. Esther chapter 3, I'd like to read the first six verses. Esther 3, 1 through 6. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai <clears throat> did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. As they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told him, told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, so they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, and Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. He was skipping happily home from work one day at the palace, humming a merry little tune. The queen requests to dine with me, of course she would, she would, you see, for all the king's men, if men they be, are not half as good as me. <laughs> and all was well in Haman's little make-believe world until there was that Mordecai. And he would still not bow down to him. Well, he wasn't even scared of him. So Haman went home to Mama and cried. But I'm richer than him, and I have more sons than him, and Queen Esther has invited me, only me, to the banquet with her and the king, not him. But what good is all of that? Mordecai sitting every day at the king's gate refusing to bow down to me. His wife said have him hanged. You know men usually get the lion's share of credit when it comes to ruthlessness but the logic of a ruthless woman can be chillingly killing. 
Let's read in chapter 5, verse 14. Esther chapter 5, verse 14. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. And of course this idea appealed to Haman, because as one said, an ordinary man gets arrogant with beauty, conceited with knowledge, and ruthless with power. Perhaps George Armstrong Custer really was too busy admiring his lovely golden locks to care enough to notice that he and his men were riding to their deaths at the Little Big Horn. And how would a man with such narcissistic tendencies, such as Haman, seek to honor himself if he thought, when the king asked, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? If he thought that the king was talking about him. Why, I just walked in the gate, and already he wants to lavish his praise upon me. I just got to work. And the boss, listen to this, isn't this wonderful? Chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. And let, the, of course, when he says noble officials, he means after him. Let them uh, lead the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. Such was the delusional, self-absorbed man who made himself the enemy of God's people, the Jews, during their captivity under the Persian king Xerxes. And he may have been very handsome. And he may have been quite popular and even quite likable, at least upon first meeting. Jeffrey Kluger said, It is a deep and all but certain truth about narcissistic personalities that to meet them is to love them, but to know them well is to find them unbearable. Confidence quickly curdles into arrogance, smarts to smugness, charm turns to smarm. <clears throat> We're talking about Haman the narcissistic nemesis. Now, I'm no clinician, and it's not a professional diagnosis by any means. And certainly he shows tendencies of the narcissist in his personality. If you look up the word narcissist, you'll find various aspects of the definition, but for our purposes, we are looking at this part. 
a person who is overly self-involved and often vain and selfish. A person who is overly self-involved and often vain and selfish. This is our textual application for Haman because he certainly displayed these types of tendencies. And then our word nemesis, the plural being nemeses, and uh, for our definition here, we're looking at someone who is uh, a long-standing rival and arch-enemy. This is our application for Haman. Now, regarding this rivalry, I would like to uh, speak a little bit to this from a historical perspective. Uh, I, I think it's well and good, much has been said and rightly said, about uh, Mordecai's refusal to, uh, excuse me, to bow, uh, being based on his religious understandings, and I think that needs to be borne out. I think that is accurate, but there there may have been more to this. There are some commentators who speculate about some some more history behind this between these two men, and it has to do with the name of this man, uh, or how he's associated as being called an Agagite. Remember King Agag? So perhaps the historical genesis for this drama played out between Mordecai, a Benjamite descendant of Saul, chapter 2, verse 5 of, of our book, and Haman, an Agagite, chapter 3, verse 1, verse 10, 8, 3, 5, 9, 24, goes back almost a thousand years before this story of Esther. When the Jews left Egypt, they were attacked by the Amalekites. That's recorded in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. Now, Agag was an Amalekite. These people's lineage began with Amalek. Amalek was a grandson of Esau, Genesis 36, 12. Because of how they treated his people, God pronounced a curse on the Amalekites, which would result in their total annihilation as a people. Exodus 17, 14, Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 19. So when it comes down to this event with King Saul, circa 1030 B.C., God gave orders through his mouthpiece, Samuel, to King Saul to kill all of the Amalekites, including their king, Agag, 1 Samuel 15, 2 and 3. Saul disobeyed, 1 Samuel 15, 7-9. And of course, this incurred God's displeasure. And we're not sure exactly how much time transpires before Samuel gets there, but when Samuel does, this is where we have the famous quote, to obey is better than sacrifice, because the reasoning that was put forth by King Saul was, we kept the, these very nice animals so that we could make sacrifice to the Lord. Well, the Lord had said, Everything should be destroyed. And and besides that, we have the best of the people, too. We have the king here. Where is the king? Give me a sword. Samuel hacked Agag to pieces in front of everyone. Now, it's possible, and this is, this is a remote possibility, but it's worth considering, I think, that some of the eyes that were watching this man be hacked to pieces may have been a descendant of this man. I mean, if this if this uh, Haman, Agagite, if that's the connection, 
then thus began this this uh, hatred between these two people. The time of Esther arrives about 550 years after the death of Agag, but in, but in spite of such a lengthy passage, passage of time, we know that these kinds of feuds can endure many, many years. So this might have had something to do with what was going on here. But as we look at the, the book of Esther, we can certainly see the narcissistic tendencies of this man, Haman. Consider chapter 5, and we'll start at uh, verse 11. Well, actually, I'll, I'll back it up and start at verse 9. We made reference to this, but we didn't read it. But chapter 5, verse 9. Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared, and tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully to the king, with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. Chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, that we uh, made reference to as well. Let's read. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? That's the way a narcissist or someone with those tendencies would think. Haman, as the nemesis of Mordecai, as well as all the Jewish people, can be seen in these other passages, such as we've mentioned in chapter 3, uh, verse 6, verse 7, actually 7 through 15. Let's, let's look at that section there. Esther chapter 3, starting at verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots, before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month till, till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to the king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they shall be destroyed. I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business that they may put into the king's treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. This is why later Esther says, My people have been sold, and they were. The death price was 10,000 talents of silver. How much is a nation of people worth? 
he, Mordecai, was a Jew. Chapter 3, verse 4. It seems evident from Haman's fury and attempted genocide that there was already strong anti-Semitic attitudes in Shushan, which seems to explain Mordecai's reluctance to reveal his true ethnic background at first, as well as his instructions to his cousin not to reveal hers at first. And some things were spoken about that um, yesterday. But as we just read, we notice when he's speaking and enticing the king to make this edict to have them annihilated, what is the thing that he says about them, but that they are different than everybody else? Does that describe you? It should. You should be different than others who are not Christians, who are in your association, those that you go to school with, those that you work with, your neighbors. Now, I, I appreciated the uh, comments about not just being doing something goofy just so you can be seem like you're different. No. You, you are different because you abide by the law of God and they do not. And so the things that you do, the things that you say, <clears throat> the things that you do not do, the things that you do not say, that all seems very strange to them. And you're not like anybody else. <clears throat> and it was commented yesterday about the religious tolerance that was uh, reputed to be the case in this kingdom of the Persians. Well, don't they talk about that today in the culture that we're stuck in the middle of? We talk about it all the time. But the only thing is, there's no tolerance for the intoleration of sin. That they're not tolerant of. What that means, that's a buzzword to mean, leave me alone and let me do what I want to do. Don't say what I'm doing is wrong. So anybody that stands out like this, any people that stands out and walks at that different line, well, they're going to incur hatred on behalf of their neighbor. Towards them. I think in that tolerant society that was already present, it was easy for this man Haman to step into this idea. There may have been some history there with the families of these two men, Mordecai and Haman. That may have been a part of the picture, but without that, it would have been a simple matter to just step right into this idea because it was really already there. It was just waiting for an excuse. The people of Mordecai, chapter 3, verse 6. Haman was being satanically used to target the entire Jewish population in an unsuccessful attempt to change the redemptive history of God's plan for producing the world's Messiah through this nation. <clears throat> Whenever men seek to harm or to destroy other men, and what they do is racially motivated, know without a doubt that what they do is from Satan. Satan is behind 
all the happenings related to racial tensions right now throughout these United States of America. The way that my ancestors, who were already living in North America before it was even called that, were treated by some of the Europeans who wanted them out of the way, that was a work of Satan. The treatment of the Jews in Europe by the Nazis, that too was a work of Satan. By the time of Adolf Hitler, the Jews were no longer God's covenant people. They had long since forfeited that covenant. This did not, however, give Hitler the right to murder them. And God was not telling him to do that. The standout fact in this story of Esther is that Haman dared to think that he could wipe out a people who were God's covenant people. Now, much has been said about how was it that they ended up in this place of captivity, in this foreign land? Well, it was due to their disobedience. And yes, they, they forfeited their right to their land. They were taken from their land and all of that. But it's clear from this book that there were Jews who were seeking to be in that covenant relationship, seeking to be faithful to Jehovah God. And after all, the Messiah had not been born yet. And God has made a promise to the whole world and that promise is going to come true. So this Haman is assuming an awful lot to think that he can stand up against these people when these are God's people that he has said these are the ones that the Messiah is going to come from. It was, it was foolish even for him to try that. And he was warned about this too. Look at uh, chapter 6 verse 12. <clears throat> Esther 6 and 12. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. And Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, already noting that, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Now, nobody lived to tell the story, but uh, it, it's the native records of the situation because of some of the guides that the, the uh, army, the U.S. Army was using before the Battle of Little Bighorn. Custer was warned and disregarded it and went right on in. So Haman was warned and he ignored it. Another thing we can tie in with this is uh, verse 17 of chapter of chapter 8. Now this is this is after uh, a counter law is passed giving the Jews the right to defend themselves and they successfully do that. Verse 17 of chapter 8 and in every province and in every city Wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, and a feast and a holiday, and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. So Persians 
and other captive peoples who were who saw what came down here decided maybe I ought to become a Jew as well. But nemeses with narcissistic tendencies like Haman do not heed such warnings. No, they proceed to try to strike down God's people only to be struck down by God's people. Such was the story of Haman, the narcissistic nemesis.